Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. All right, today I have Rosemary McGinn here. I'm so excited to chat with her. She has a very interesting set of experiences, both as a healthcare provider and as a patient. So welcome, Rosemary. Can you let us know just real quick where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Well, thank you so much for having me. I live in Georgia. I live in Cumming, Georgia, north of Atlanta here in the Atlanta metro and I, my relationship to arthritis is I was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis when I was 15 years old, about, I think it was 2008. So, and now, so it's been about 15 years, which I thought of you because I think on your account, you had just said you lived, you've lived half your life with arthritis now. Yes. I have all, I have now made that milestone as well. <laughs> wow. No, it is. It's a, it's a trippy thing to think about. Yeah. And um, I would love to delve into your diagnosis journey slash saga. You know, what were your symptoms and how did you get diagnosed? When I was first, my first symptoms were, and I um, wrote about this and I know you're going to link it. It was, I was at a Jonas Brothers concert, which was my, that was my thing. I love the Jonas Brothers and I wore like, I was, I had no backstage passes. I was not going to meet them, but you know, you could, like I, I had to prepare just in case. So I didn't wear, you know, walking shoes or anything like that. I didn't think I had to. And so I wore cute, like ballet flats and what I, wa- walking and standing the whole time and everything. So after that, my, one of my toes, middle toe got swollen, like, and now in hindsight, I know now it was the very textbook sausage like digit is what they would call it. That's what I would know now. Um, And it was swollen constantly, but it hurt, you know, pretty bad in the morning, the toe and kind of the ball or the, yeah, the ball of the foot. It would hurt in the morning and, you know, I'd go to schools in high school walking around all day and it would, it would fade. It would actually improve throughout the day. 
um, which was a little confusing because you kind of almost every day you're like, it's getting better. And then no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But the swelling was constant. So obviously my parents were concerned. I let them know. Um, and they thought maybe I'd injured it. So I went to a podiatrist um, who was a really great guy and really perceptive. And um, that was one of, I think, noting that to him that it hurt the most in the morning and the pain faded was a clue to him. And also I had psoriasis. We already knew that. Um, so he, he asked that to me, it seemed like he asked that out of the blue. He was like, do you have psoriasis? And I was like, what am I here for? I'm here for my toe. Like, what are you talking about? But yes, I do. And he was the first person to say it. He said, I think you have psoriatic arthritis. And that was like, what? Like, I'm 15. I don't know if you understand. Can you look again? Um, and that started the world. It was like, okay, then I got referred to a pediatric rheumatologist, um, and eventually, you know, moved on to an, to an adult or, you know, rheumatologist and started treatment very conservatively at first with Mobic daily, which is Mobix is also called Meloxicam. It's a, it's an NSAID. Um, and I'm a nurse, by the way. <laughs> so, so I love the generic and brand name meds I'll get into. But, um, Actually, that, that's helpful because I often forget the generic names. So yeah, so Mobic, I think is the brand Meloxicam's generic. Um and then when it wasn't until I was 18 that I started my first biologic, which was Embrol. And then, but as we'll discuss, I've moved on from a couple medications. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned being surprised at age 15, getting a diagnosis, like with the word arthritis in it. What were some of the other emotions that you were having at that time? Um, it was a lot of like feeling confused because I think my parents had a, since my parents were obviously adults, I think they had a much better grasp on the whole picture here or maybe the gravity of it. I thought it was like, not, no big deal or I don't know. And it's, yeah. it's, I wrestle with that still sometimes in, I am always like, I don't want to be dramatic, but, or so, you know, I'm, I always am a little self-conscious of that. I don't want to make it seem like it's this big deal. And it didn't feel like a big deal at first. It felt like, okay, I guess I'm going to get a swollen joint every once in a while, but then I'll take a steroid pack, I guess, for a week and it'll be better and it'll come and go. And it, it didn't, it didn't knock me down at the beginning. You know, it, it actually, it was, it was a swollen toe and I started an NSAID and, and that to me did not feel like a big deal. And I didn't have maybe a lot of perspective of this is going to be with me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I think my mom did. And my mom is a nurse or she's retired now, but she's a nurse and her mother, my grandmother and her sister, my aunt, both have are had and have RA. Um, so she, and my aunt was diagnosed, I think a little, I think a little younger than average too. So it was in her, there was a family history a bit there. Mm -hmm. um, so my mom was definitely familiar with it, seeing her family members go through it. Um, and I think, and I had wrote in a response to my mom, like cried, she teared up a little bit at an appointment one time. Cause I, she just, and mom, if moms do this, you know, for their kids, you feel, you feel like everything your kids are feeling, I think, or you feel bad for them. And I remember being like, mom, get it together. Kind of, like, I didn't understand. So like, I was kind of at that age where, I don't know, I knew it was something, but it 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 was kind of a gradual oncoming for me. And there was a lot of, when I went to college at 18, I became a nursing student. I think going through nursing school started to give me another perspective and it kind of continued from there. That's, that's so common um, though, to, to not truly understand 
the nature of it. And it's kind of like a uh, one of the uh, support group members that has been in the alumni group for my Room to Thrive support group. She likes to say, Jatel, she's been on the podcast before, but she likes to say, you know, um, ignorance is bliss, but knowledge is power. So you kind of have that trade-off. I, similar to you, I actually didn't know that any of my systemic issues were due to rheumatoid arthritis until I was in occupational therapy school. And it wasn't even like that was a big focus in the textbooks. I just happened to make connect the dots where we're talking about multiple sclerosis and autoimmunity and how that can cause fatigue. I was like, wait a minute. Is my fatigue, this is six years after my diagnosis, is my fatigue related to my RA? I thought it was just, I overdid it last night or, you know, so um, I think that's, again, just for anyone else listening, you know, it's sometimes you can be hard on yourself. Like, I wish I knew how serious it was, but I also think it's complicated. I don't know whether you have this experience, but sometimes the doctors are on, they want to err on the side of like optimism and they're like, oh, this is like, they'll say like, and, and this is true, it's the best time in history to be diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis or rheumatoid because there are such effective treatments, but it kind of glosses over. It's still, there's no cure. You know, there's, it's going to be with you the rest of your life. When you, I'm sure we're planning, family planning, pregnancy planning, you have to think about this in every aspect of your life. Think about your career. So anyway, sorry, going on a side note, but um, but I I do want to delve into your, I know what people listening might have questions about nursing school, because that's a big question people have is what kind of careers can I do with this condition and how you manage that? But first I'm going to be linear with our schedule <laughs> yeah, with our, we have questions we talked about beforehand. And um, one of the unique aspects of your story is that you've had a rare drug induced lupus reaction to an arthritis medication. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, is even though it's, it, it's rare, it's good that for patients to know that this could happen. So can you kind of walk us through what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So this was, yeah. And I want to emphasize, like you said, it's very rare. I've read about it, you know, now after the fact that I know I read about it, really the incidence right now among the class of drugs that I'll speak about, which are TNF inhibitors, which is a common drug class of biologic medications for arthritis, as I'm sure many of your listeners know. Um, and actually, it's actually used with some uh, like Crohn's and stuff too, and ulcerative colitis, um, just as another side bit. Um, it, it's, I've read that it, the reported incidence is 0.1% of patients. So it's one of those side effects when they're reading really fast at the end of the drug commercial and they're like, this can happen, this can happen, this can happen. And you're, you're not listening anymore and you're like, okay, uh, it's mm -hmm. kind of one of those. Um, so it, it was not something I anticipated. Um, like I said, when I was 18, I started taking Embrel and then I was on it for two years, very well controlled, minor, you know, infrequent flares. And then um, when I was 20, I, you know, you are immunosuppressed on these medications to a degree. So I actually got strep throat, but I didn't know. I don't think I had it as severely as I'm, you know, the symptoms didn't present as severely as they would have, perhaps if I wasn't on an immunosuppressant, which is something I think people don't know too, that sometimes your immune system reaction is sometimes what makes you feel sick in a way, you know, sometimes, um, and I think that's kind of what happened to me in this case when I got strep throat, I didn't know. And if you leave strep throat untreated for a while, um, it can cause some problems. So I got petechiae all over my body, my trunk, like my torso, and which are like the small like red dots all over me. And, but also my psoriasis flared like crazy. I got a head to toe psoriasis reaction. So this was, the, this was not the drug induced lupus reaction. This was 
a combination of things going on where they then found out I had strep throat. They, uh, another really perceptive doctor that I went to at the time. Um, uh, so I got an antibiotic and, but there was the psoriasis was flaring too. And then the joints were flaring. So they said, you know what? I think it's time for you to come off Embrol. Let's try a different biologic. I think Embrol's run its course for you. And that's an intimidating thing too, to have to switch your medication. Um, and cause they're, you know, I think you, you know that like you get a little attached to it and you're like, okay. Oh, completely. And I just want to point out that you on the blog post, I, I don't know if it's called a blog post, but on medium, you wrote a, an article called sensible footwear, a year's long journey for a diagnosis. You have some pictures of, of what happened to you. And I think these pictures are really illustrative, um, about what you're about to talk about as well. Um, but they're, they're pretty severe, you know, and, um, I have a hard time visualizing in my head sometimes. So I recommend you looking at, look at the, uh, link in the show notes, or just go to medium.com and look up sensible footwear as a year's long journey for diagnosis. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sure. So, and I, yeah, and I didn't mean to get into the embryo so much. So anyway, they were like, well, you got to switch. Why don't we try this one called Humera? And I think Humera had maybe at that point been out for almost maybe 10 years. Um, but anyway, um, <clears throat> I said, okay. And so that was when I was 20 and great again, back under control. Everything's fine. We're back to the status quo. And it was a very similar medication and sub Q subcutaneous injection. Um, I don't remember if it was every month or every other week. I can't remember now. Um, I, I think it it's one that they, they, it's variable. Some, some yeah, it depends on your dose. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I don't remember, but similar to Embrol, very similar to the way you administer it, all that stuff and same drug class of TNF inhibitor. Mm -hmm. So I took it for four years. Well, for four years total. But so when I was 22, going into age 23, I was working as a nurse in a hospital. And um, that's when like arthritis symptoms started to kind of be a little more like I started to have a little bit more fatigue. I was having pain after work in my feet, my legs. And, um, but sometimes you say to yourself, well, I have arthritis, so what do I expect? Um, so I wasn't too upset about that, but I was noticing like at the end of, you stand a lot in the hospital um, and with working with patients, which I'm sure you know in your work as an OT. Um, so I was noticing some red dots, you know, kind of not a lot, but a little bit sprayed across my feet at the end of the day, but they'd be gone by the morning. If I slept, they'd be gone. So that was kind of for me like a, meh, whatever. And I moved on. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think, I think I ignored a lot of things in hindsight. And oh, um, that's so common too, though. People often say like, I, they, you never know whether you're overreacting or underreacting exactly. when you go to the doctor. And sometimes, sometimes too, even with, when you, when I, like I said, I was feeling more tired. Sometimes I'm like, am I tired because I have arthritis or am I tired because I'm a human and everybody gets tired? You know what yeah. I mean? So you do, you also feel like I don't want to jump at everything that happens, but so when with those, they would kind of come and go and I was like, okay, some red dots, whatever. Um, but it was then this, this bump appeared on my knee. It was on my left knee. It was kind of flesh colored, kind of pink, um, painless, just a bump. It was my skin. It wasn't part of the joint. It wasn't part of it. It was very, sub, very much on the skin. And I didn't know what it was and it wouldn't go away. I waited probably a, at least a couple weeks. So I went to my PCP and he was like, it might be an abscess. Like maybe you had an ingrown hair or something like that. Maybe it turned into an abscess. Why don't you take an antibiotic? Like conservative approach first, which I appreciate. So he was like, take an antibiotic. Um, and I was like, okay. So I did, and it did nothing. So I went back to him 
And I was like, it's still here. And so he took a biopsy and he told me it was an abscess. He said, that's, yeah, it's still, it's an abscess. So you just need a different antibiotic. This one didn't cover it. This one will. And I just didn't believe, I don't know why I don't, I really can't explain to you why I did. I knew that it wasn't an abscess, but I knew it wasn't an abscess. I was like, it's just not. And I can, I can get into it later as to why he may have thought it was an abscess because the bottom line is that it was fluid filled to some degree. Um, but that's kind of a whole other part of it. It was a neutrophilic sort of drainage in it. Um, but it was much more than that. It was not an infected abscess. It was an inflammatory thing going on. Hmm. So, or a different sort of inflammatory thing, maybe I should say. Um, but I was young and impatient and I didn't like having um, ugly things on my skin. I was very, I was well controlled with psoriasis. I mean, Embrol and Humira had my psoriasis almost non-existent most of the time. So I just went to a surgeon. I was like, I don't care. I went to a general surgeon. He can just remove it. This is small, no big deal. And he, and that's how he felt too. I said, can you just, I don't know what it is. Can you just get rid of it? He's like, sure, for sure. So that was an outpatient, just sat in his office. He, uh, local, local anesthetic. Um, okay, cut it out. He was like, I'll send it for pathology. I mean, I'll let you know, but it's gone. And I said, okay, I had a few stitches. Um, and he called me with the pathology and he was like, it's some kind of, there was a little bit of necrosis, but he thought the necrosis was from the previous biopsy from the uh, PCP. And he was like, but also just inflammation, nothing specific. I don't know, weird. And I was like, okay. And mm-hmm. I didn't care. It was gone. I didn't care to pursue it more. Right. Except it wasn't gone. <laughs> so no, the, it was not gone. And yeah, I guess disclaimer. Here's one of the first um, kind of medically uh, gory pictures you might see on the blog post. It grew back much bigger than it originally was. It the stitch they they removed the stitches, and but there was kind of a drainage point with the stitches that never closed. I went back to him to say, "Hey, this isn't closing." He put some silver nitrate on it, which is a little a little treatment you can use to close little things like little openings in the skin like that, I guess. Um, And he said, it's fine. It's a little cautery method. And he said, it'll close. It didn't. And and the whole thing grew back multiple times bigger. It maybe was the size of a pencil eraser. Now it was the size of a ping pong ball. And I was like, oh my, like it, not only did it not go away, it got so much worse. So the first lesson I learned was I I kick myself so much because I already had psoriasis. I already had skin problems. I should have gone to a dermatologist first. I don't know why I ran to a surgeon. Um, But like I said, I was impatient uh, maybe. and, and, And I was worried about the looks of it maybe. I don't know. So hindsight's always 2020. I have to remind myself that every day, you know. No better, be better. And now your story, by sharing it, you're maybe helping others make different choices. Don't, don't necessarily run to the, to cutting into yourself right away. (laughs) It's just such a nurse thing. And my sister's a nurse. So I feel like there's, you're so tough. You're like, sure. Cut cut me up. I I I was like, I was like, just do it. Whatever. I I don't know. And, and and this is, this is no discredit to the surgeon. He did exactly what I asked him to do. He was like, I can get rid of it. Sure. That's what I'm here for. Um, So anyway, obviously I was like, lesson learned. Let's not do that again. 
But more concerning now, and also simultaneously, another bump appeared on my elbow, which was my left elbow. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And now a lot of things, when you, if you, if you, if you care to read the blog post, this keeps it a little linear in my head. It's hard for me to explain it all because this was happening around 2017 ish. Um, but it from 2016 to about 2018 ish, this is kind of all taking place and it gets a little jumbled in my head but so the bump on the elbow shows up i've got the the bad one on the knee is grown back and now a lot of things are happening at once at the same time those red dots are still happening if you remember that i talked about but they're kind of ever so so slowly and gradually getting a little bit worse or taking a little bit longer to fade or hurting a little bit more like i could instead of just seeing them i could kind of feel that they were coming on while standing or things like that um, so I went to a local dermatologist where I was living in Indiana at the time, um, and I saw a dermatology nurse practitioner, and she looked at them and she said, I think it's keloids, and we can inject them with Kenalog, and Kenalog's a, a, a corticosteroid, I think, it's a steroid, um, and she thought if we inject them locally, that'll uh, calm it down, but just a note about keloids is Keloids are something that are kind of a hypertrophic or an overgrown scar, but they're usually, they're not, yeah, it's a condition that people have, but they're in response to an injury to the skin. Something yeah. has to happen to the skin for a keloid to happen. So, so it would explain, it wouldn't explain the initial appearance, but it would explain after the surgery it being bigger, but why did exactly. it exactly first place? Yeah, that's so. So tough. with the knee, you're right. It's it's that wouldn't that would track for the surgery, sure. But why was it there in the first place? Yeah. And with the elbow, there was no. Why would that be a keyword? I didn't hurt my elbow, mm -hmm. but I was kind of. I was like, okay, um, sure, do the catalog. Um, and I I was just like, yeah, you could be right. I guess I. What do I know? I really I, I don't know. I wasn't working in. I'm a nurse, but I'm not, I don't know. I was working in GI at the time. I was very tuned into my GI things. I was doing colonoscopies, assisting with colonoscopies and EGDs and things like that. Um, so we did, and actually in hindsight too, the Kenalog injections, although she was wrong about the keloids, Kenalog injections was a really reasonable approach though too. and was actually something suggested again down the line. So it definitely didn't hurt the situation, but we tried a lot of uh, like several rounds of Kenalog injections and just like nothing happened, nothing improved. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and also I can't remember exactly, they all were slowly starting to pop up. I slowly at some point, one came on my right knee now. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I called at one point, we had, we had kind of stopped with the Kenalog injections and I called her office and I said, I'd like to speak, could we review this with one of the, the doctors? not to not to insult her but to like can we like what we need to do something else this isn't working and other ones are appearing now and they just didn't call me back they did not call me back they, they you would call you would get you know the front office maybe scheduler or assistant or maybe they'd transfer you to a medical assistant or maybe a nurse and they said you know the office policies will call you back in two to three business days and i'd say okay and i'd wait two to three business days and they wouldn't call me back so i'd call them again and i probably called them with the waiting the, the quoted amount of time, I probably called them three times with, and then waited and never got calls back. And this was before too. So again, this was like maybe 2017. I don't think I had a patient portal with them. I'm not sure that right. that, that, that was so prominent then that you could just eat very easily. It definitely existed, but I don't think I had it with this office. 
Right. So I went to them, I went there in person one day and I was like, um, you, nobody is calling me back. And again, I just walked up to the scheduling desk and they're like, well, let me go in the back and talk to somebody. And then they came back out and they said, we'll call, they'll call you back. No. And I said, I'm like, okay. So I was just, over, you know, I was like, okay, I'm just done with these people. Um, they're not helping me. And now in the meantime, let's say now about two, I've got another one now in my heel. One of my right heels come up. They're slowly coming up. So I go to, um, I was living in Indiana, but I grew up in the Chicago area. And where I was living in Indiana, it's only about an hour and a half away from Chicago. Um, so um, I, I was talking to my parents who were living in that area still. And my, my husband, who I wasn't, we weren't married yet, but he was probably my fiance at this point. Yeah. <laughs> he was very busy with work. So my dad and I got, I got myself an appointment with a Northwestern dermatologist and my dad took me to downtown Chicago where the office was. They were within the Northwestern health system. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, you know, the university, it was the health system. Um, I go see him and it's like a, you know, it's a skyscraper. It's intimidating. I grew up in the suburbs. You have to go literally take, we like took the train. We took an L we like walked uh, a little bit and you go to a skyscraper and we were on the Wow. 30th floor it was intimidating and um he sees it I kind of explain but it, and I have to note at this point the dots the vasculitis they weren't present that day and they weren't yet oh. so constant they just weren't there that day because I hadn't worked I had slept well I hadn't been standing for 12 hours um and I think I had mentioned them but like I said they weren't there and I was more worried about these bumps. Those were the mm -hmm. thing that were the constant. And so I, so he took a biopsy. So we're at like biopsy number three. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I made a bingo board to fill out here. I know. Like, a lot uh, of biopsies. Yeah. And um, so he said, you know, he was like, I will let you know, like he, the biopsy will tell, like, it was like, you got to wait for that. So, okay. So he called me. And eventually with those results. And he was like, I think what you have is something called erythema elevatum diutinum, EED, which is a mouthful. And I was like, tell me more. <laughs> and he was like, it's something that can occur in people who have existing autoimmune diseases or problems, which you have. So that tracks. And, but it's benign. It's, and he said, and I'll never forget the quote, because I was, I was talking to him on the phone. And I'll never forget it. He said, um, if it really bothers you, we can try to like, it was that phrase. If it really bothers you, we can try to do something about it. Or we can, pre you know, you know, that's, you already know surgical removal doesn't work. You tried catalog injections. It's mostly cosmetic. It's, you know, mainly it's benign for the most part. It's not something that's going to really hurt you. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm being dramatic. Like, I guess this is not a problem. I, that was kind of, yeah. I was very sensitive and and I do want to like throw in again, I probably was more tired than usual. I might've been more sensitive than usual, more like I was a little hyper. So that mm. I, I just was like, okay, I'm being sensitive. I'm being silly or like I'm overreacting. Why am I pursuing treatment for this? This is just a cause mm. I'm vain. This is a vanity issue. Oh my God. Um, so I was like, okay message received nothing to do about it I guess it's just something like psoriasis or something like psoriatic arthritis where I just have to accept that I have another diagnosis on my list of diagnoses right. um so I was like okay um and but so now you know life is continuing and they're on my feet now too I've got a bump on the bottom of my left toe I've got a bump on my 
um, I misspoke, my left big toe, my right second toe, the back of my mm-hmm. right heel, the outside of my left heel. And like I said, to recap the elbow and both knees. So I'm like, wow. what the f-? these, and these are coming up, like a new one is coming up every, every month or so. And now the problem cannot be ignored about the red dots anymore. I was, they would last longer. They would take longer to fade. They burned. You couldn't. Yeah, and it's, you really have to look at these pictures. Cause when you're saying dots, this is, this is, they are extreme. Like in your, you have, you know, pale skin. These are extremely red. I've never, I've had skin issues and I've never had anything this, maybe when I had chicken pox when I was a kid, I don't know, but these are not just little looking like acne or something. So not to be like, it's, you know, but I just, Oh yeah. yeah. So, so dots does sound like a euphemism and that's, they, they really did start as dots, but you're Mm -hmm. right. The picture in there is when they were, that's what I'm saying. They progressed to, Mm -hmm. that's when it couldn't be ignored. Mm -hmm. They were, they, they got worse and worse and worse to the picture you're referencing. That was about as bad as they would look. And and actually at times worse, you can see on that picture on the ankle bone, like the malleolus, that one had ulcerated into a wound at some point. It was standing, was painful. It felt like my legs were burning. Um, I'm sure all of this was contributing to fatigue. They, they themselves were painful and they became raised too. They used to be flat, but then they became raised. It was really becoming like alarming, obviously. Um, and I, and in the meantime too, I was, I decided to leave the hospital. I couldn't do the 12 hour shifts anymore, which was really emotional for me. Um, it was actually kind of still emotional to talk about because I just felt like I couldn't do it. And I, I was, like I said, I was working in, they call endoscopy, which is like mainly GI, some pulmonary, some, some random other things, but you had to be on call too. Cause sometimes overnight you might get an emergency. So, you know, you share that, but you rotate on call and weekends overnight. Um, but in addition to 12 hour shifts, I could not physically do it. And I was only like 23 or 24. And I just felt like such a, uh, like, I just couldn't believe this was, this was probably the first thing in my life that I felt like changed I felt this was the first thing in my life that felt like an option was taken away from me because of having arthritis, which I still, I don't know why in hindsight, hadn't really yet connected to my arthritis yet. I knew that it was like, oh, I'm this person who's prone to autoimmune things, but I didn't know exactly what was happening yet. Well, remember you keep saying you didn't know, but this was, this is a 0.01 or 0.1% chance of happening. So if we lived our lives considering every 0.1% chance thing, we would literally never do anything because we would be just considering things all day long. So, I mean, I'm, I'm similar to very similar to you that it's, um, it's really hard not to beat yourself up when, you know, when you find out things that connect the dots not trying, not trying to make a pun of dots, but yeah, in retrospect. And I think that it's a very profound thing to work so hard for a career. And, you know, I've, I mean, occupational therapy school was hard. I, I can only tell you the things I've heard about nursing school, how hard that can be. So to, at such an early age, have to give up part of it, uh, give up part of your hopes and in, in what a quote, like a quote unquote normal 23 year old 
what, you know, dealing with things in normal, quote unquote, 20, I always say quote unquote, cause I don't like the word normal, but, um, you know, 23 year old wouldn't not normally have to contend with, I guess I do like the word normal. Cause I just used it like five times, but, um, so, you know, well, you're, and I see what you're saying with that. Yeah. And also what I thought in my head, which we can speak to later when you said you thought people might have questions about nursing school, I had a picture in my head of what I thought a nurse was and what I thought like mm-hmm. being a nurse was. And I thought, I, I, so it, that it was really, I was, it was hard to wrestle with kind of. Yeah, so yeah. I went from the, I was really fortunate though, because working in GI at the time at that hospital, I was working with a lot of gastroenterologists who also had their own practice um, and they had their outpatient mm-hmm. setting as well. So I moved, I applied at their outpatient endoscopy procedure center which, so I was doing the same job basically, but not in the hospital. I went to an outpatient setting where um, you don't have 12 hour shifts because it's an outpatient office. They're not even open for 12 hours. Right. Um, right you're just right. there at the out, regular business hours and no on call. So I wasn't on call overnight or on the weekends. Um, and I did need to make that shift. But um, I mean, ultimately, I was still standing for good amounts of time, but not as. Um, not as physically demanding as the hospital. Um, so th- this was all, it was, th- we're hitting the point now where it was getting pretty, like I was getting pretty down and emotional and anxious. And so anyway, I went back then to my rheumatologist in Illinois, like I said, I'm from that area. And when I had moved to Indiana, I loved that. She was treating me since I was 16. I never oh left her. Like I even, I went to college in Wisconsin. I moved eventually to Indiana and while I was in Wisconsin, while I was in Indiana, I any I only saw her every, it varied maybe on how my condition was going at the time, but our regular appointments were maybe every three months or every six months. It kind of varied, but I would always go back for her because my parents still lived there. It was easy enough. So I went back to her in Illinois and now, see, I have to, I have to kind of cut the Northwestern guy a little bit of a break because he didn't see the vasculitis, like, which is what it was. Spoiler alert. Yeah, um, yeah. He didn't see the dots, as I've been calling them, like she did. She saw them in full. They weren't fading anymore. They were there. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. So she, re- long story short, she referred me to the Cleveland Clinic. And that, you know, we had to wait a while to get in, but we got it through her referral. And um, I, so in waiting for the Cleveland Clinic, the the bumps that I speak of on my feet were opening into ulcerating wounds. And I was bleeding through my socks while I was working. And I was now I was going to local wound care too. And it was all just a mess. But now it felt like you just have to wait for Cleveland, wait for Cleveland, they'll fix it, they'll fix it. So we went and they, I saw a rheumatologist who immediately got dermatology on, they, they were really, really good about like working together across specialties, mm-hmm. which is really hard to find. Yes. In just in sort of the normal outpatient set, they're like a tertiary care center. Right. When you're just in the, in the outpatient setting, getting your dermatologist to call your rheumatologist or, you know, getting the specialties to- ever- happened for me was pregnancy because the stakes are so high other than pregnancy it's really hard for me at least me too with pregnancy yeah I did get my um yeah see that's a whole we can get into that too yeah yeah sorry pregnancy and rheumatic things yeah autoimmune things yeah (laughs) oh man but um yeah so they were really wonderful actually her office was like on the third floor and dermatology was on the fourth floor so they were literally in the same building they were a floor apart they talked to each other whatever so she got them involved immediately 
but all the answers didn't come immediately. You know, it was like, we got to work this up. They thought they were going to test. They were testing me for RA. They were test. They thought maybe I had lupus. They thought maybe I got like a chest x-ray for sarcoidosis or something. Oh, wow. um, I was getting more biopsies. They biopsied the, the quote unquote dots as I'm calling them. And they biopsied the bumps again. So now we're on like the fourth biopsy of the bumps at least. Um, so they pretty, pretty quickly, the, the dots were that biopsy very pretty definitively, I guess, showed leukocytoclastic vasculitis, Whoa. which is like the mouthful for saying like inflammation of your blood vessels. But it's a, it was for me, it was a, that vasculitis can sound like a scary thing because I know there are versions of it that like can affect organs and stuff like that, like a yes. lot of internal stuff. And that's very serious. Um, this, I'm not saying, I'm not minimizing this, but it, it wasn't immediately life-threatening or anything. Mm -hmm. It was my skin. It was skin vasculitis, mm -hmm. um, but painful, <laughs> painful yeah. nonetheless. Um, so it was, there's a lot of, we got to start treatment even before we have answers. And you kind of have to reconcile mm -hmm. with that. You have to just start taking the medications, even though you don't know what's going on. Um, so it was starting steroids. Um, they, like I said, they thought, oh, methotrexate, maybe you have RA, but my, my rheumatoid factor was negative. Um, mm -hmm. They were doing the, they were drawing my, it's called a lupus anti-coag panel, okay. which this experience gave me a whole new um, I don't, uh, perspective, sympathy, like appreciation for people who go through lupus diagnosis. Cause I never knew how I kind of thought there was a test for it and it's, you have lupus <laughs> or you don't. And it's very much not like that. I was not really familiar with the lupus diagnosis process. Yeah. Um, they were well, just so covered. Oh, sorry. I was just cause I was covered no, on the show, Dr. House, where they, they repeatedly like, it could be lupus. It could be lupus because it's such the great mimicker, right? It could look like so many other conditions. That's why I always think of when I think of the lupus. Diagnosis. That makes me, I just recently listened to, um, Dr. Amigas, is that how you say it on your podcast? Oh yeah. And she yeah. was like, I get to be like Dr. House. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step -step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. 
I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, so like, so yeah, in this case, it's like rheumatology saves the day in the sense that like, if nothing else from this story, I almost wonder, and sorry, not to be like, just sweeping ahead, but if people are thinking, okay, if you're having something weird go on, if you don't know whether or not it has to do with your inflammatory arthritis, when in, when you have some sort of mystery, always loop, get in the rheumatologist in the loop. Cause you never know what's going to relate and what's not related relating to your inflammatory arthritis. Yeah. And again, in hindsight, I, you can tell from what I've said, I waited to involve my rheumatologist and I'm somebody, I already had arthritis. I was already established with a rheumatologist mm-hmm. and I did not even, I did not go to her right away. I didn't, she, she came later. Cause I was like, well, I would think the same problem. thing. I would think dermatology, like, and I've yeah. had times where I've gone and I've um, had skin issues and, and the rheumatologist has just said, oh, that's a derm thing. Just go to the derm. It has nothing to do with your RA. So it, you just as easily could have been that, but, but yeah. And I don't know too, maybe kind of being sort of in the, I mean, as being in the medical, in, as a nurse, you work with a lot of doctors and some of the, you know, some of the, some of the best people I've met, um, not all of them, but a lot of great people. But you do, you are kind of privy sometimes to the like, oh, we can't deal. They think we can deal with this, but we can't. They got to call the other person or call the other person. And so you kind of like, oh, I don't want to be that patient. Or, so you know, you get a little self-conscious totally. because you're totally. on the other side of it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, it was a lot of, it was like a four hour drive to Cleveland from where I was living in Indiana. They stayed in great, they, and they, by the way, I mentioned this earlier, they did have the patient portal function on the phone at that time, which was kind of like, oh, they are so high tech at the time. Because the sort of local offices at the time did not have that yet. They use Epic for their charting. They had my chart. It was so, oh, I got my lab results right on my phone. I couldn't believe it. Like, which that's yeah. a double-sided, um, what's yes. the expression? A double-sided edge sword double-edged sword because you get the results like before they even call you about it sometimes and oh, so I'm yeah. like sitting here yeah you're like freaking out you're like oh my gosh something's abnormal and then they call you and they're like oh that's not actually that big of a deal or you know oh a hundred percent I had a um a brain MRI to rule out MS because I was starting to have some symptoms of MS oh, but I wasn't scary. sure well I'd also it was confounding variable because yeah I've been on RA biologics for a long time which you can for some of them get MS as a secondary thing, or, um, but I also had that car accident in 2016 where I had a concussion and, um, and a neck injury. So if you're starting to get dizziness, you know, is the dizziness most likely it's the concussion post-concussion, but it, you don't want to say everything is due to the concussion when really you actually also concurrently have like MS. So I got the result and it exactly the same as you said, I got it through the portal and it's like, 
we had saw, I, I knew what an incidental finding meant. I knew that it wasn't a normally an incidental signing is, is something where they weren't looking for it. And it doesn't necessarily mean a huge deal, but it's that a cavernoma and a, a cluster of abnormal blood vessels usually found in the brain and spinal cord. It was in my frontal lobe and I could see it on the image. It's not like a tiny little weird thing. I was like, that's not normal. You know, and it's your brain. It's my like, brain. It's brain. And then, of course, the neurologist was so blase when I did the follow-up. Like, those rarely ever, nothing happens. You just get monitored occasionally and make sure they're not bursting into your brain. But even if they burst, they normally just stay localized. I'm like, well, if it just stays localized, I need my frontal lobes. Like, anyway, long story. Oh, that's the that's brain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. That's, it's, it's, that's, that is the thing though. I was getting, and like I said, I didn't know what that like lupus anti-coag panel that for people who don't know, that's like multiple tests kind of together. Mm. It's a panel. Mm -hmm. And it was, so it was like, some of them were normal, but some of them were abnormal. And I'm like Googling it and my mom's Googling it. Cause we're like, they had, you know, or it just comes through whenever. And you're like, you don't want to see anything abnormal, but of course no. you get it. And sometimes it's maybe indicative of something, or sometimes like you said, maybe it's an incidental finding or it's a, it's a, um, you know, uh, we could draw it again later. Maybe it was just a, a one-off or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, a lot of still, what do they call that? Did they call it a remnant? Uh, yeah. I can't, or a, I can't think of, yeah, maybe. I can't think of a term. I know I was trying to find artifact artifact. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's like, yeah, that's like on heart monitors, but yeah, so the same yeah. concept. Yeah. I think that's what we could call it. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a lot of constantly feeling like, do I have lupus? Do I have RA? Do I have so, and then I'm, I'm back in my head too. I'm like, okay, I have skin problems now, but these other skin problems, but now I also have some, do I, if I have lupus, is it still that I have psoriatic arthritis or now, or did I never have psoriatic arthritis? Has it been rheumatoid this whole time? Like it was yeah. very confusing. And I, and the way I'm talking about it, it sounds like this was all happening quickly. It wasn't, this was months and months of follow-ups and driving back and forth mm -hmm. and labs and whatever. So <clears throat> they knew it was vasculitis. I was on steroids for that. Like I said, they put me on Plaquenil because that's a lupus medication and an, I think an RA medication too, could be for either or both. Yes. Methotrexate they started and then they also started something called Dapsone, which they thought could help the, um, which I think side note might also be, no, I, I don't remember. I'm not going to say it because I don't remember. Um, but Dapsone was for the, that was to target the bumps. Um, but the problem with Dapsone, this is not a side effect. This is a known thing with Dapsone because of like the mechanism of the drug or because of the, I can't remember the word for this either, but the, just how the drug, the mechanism of action, I guess it causes hemolytic anemia. It causes like the hemolysis of red blood cells. So that's not the kind of anemia where you can just eat iron rich foods and it'll be okay. It's like, it's, it, it's just what it is, I guess. Um, so I, took the Dapsone and uh, within three weeks, you, you're supposed to get your blood tested right before so they can establish a baseline and then they'll test you again in a month. And I only made it three weeks before I started having terrible like symptoms, like very, not fatigue, like lethargic and like terrible headache. And so I went to the doctor and sure enough, I, I was like, my hemoglobin had dropped like over three points. And I was like at a 13 something, which is in the normal range. And then I was down to like a 10, which is not, which is below normal range, not horribly anemic, but I think the precipitous drop really maybe emphasized how terrible I was feeling. Um, so that drug was not working for me, which I still, I've heard you talk about this on your show before, and this was a tough one for me too, because it was one of the ones that they had a lot of hope for, and maybe it could have worked. And 
I felt like I just can't handle it and it's my fault because it's making me too tired or it's making my head hurt. And I'm like, I'm just whining about this medication, but, but you were truly anemic on it. And it's very hard for your body. I think sometimes to compensate with that when it's not used to it. But then I think if I had stuck it out, maybe my body would have learned to compensate. So that was a tough one, but I ultimately stopped that medication. Um, But anyway, and then they said after some time, they were like, um, let's resume like a biologic for your psoriatic arthritis. They had, by the way, I should say, I guess they had ruled out RA, they had ruled out sarcoidosis. And I do think at this point we knew it was a drug and they did say, listen, this, you don't, we don't think you have lupus, but we think you're having a drug induced lupus reaction to your medication. To Humira. Humira. Yes. Yes, To Humira, which now I had been taking Humira for four years and this felt like I had been cheated on or something. I was like, what are you talking about? My medication did this to me because when I tell you it had my arthritis symptoms under control, I hadn't seen my psoriasis since that incident I talked about when I was 20. I had not seen a past. So it had been so good to me is how I kind of felt. If you're, if I can like, and if I can, you know, it's, it feels like it's a person I'm talking about. It's a medication. No, you, it had been betrayed you got betrayed by it I was so betrayed I said what are you talking about that this do you think this did this to me I felt so yeah it was that was very upsetting and so they had they had stopped it during all these testing we had already discontinued it and then they did you know they landed on that after sometime after they discontinued it they're like you know what we do think this is what it is it's a very rare side effect you oh, know. and I just want to, I'm putting this link, um, in, which was updated in 2023 in the show notes that about drug induced lupus, but just to know that it typically goes away when you discontinue the drug. So it's not a permanent yes. case, which is, which is a good, so it, it's just, it's reassuring to know that, I mean, hopefully no one will go through what you had to go through, but if, right. but there is, but I a, do want people to know, I do not have lupus. Like this medication mm-hmm. did not give me lupus. Mm-hmm. I had some lupus-like symptoms for a period of time, which is what they they attributed the vasculitis to. They said, we think you had a drug-induced lupus to reaction to Humira, and that triggered vasculitis in, your, in you, in my skin. And then they said, okay, now separate from that, now you have vasculitis. We think the vasculitis is the underlying cause of these bumps, of this skin issue. So it's kind of like this, we had to follow sort of this chain. Mm-hmm. Um this sort of chain reaction, I guess I should say. Um, and so I'm like, okay, but we, so we knew all of this, but we still didn't really know what the bumps were and very hes- not sure what to do about them because surgery didn't seem like an option anymore. We already did catalog injections. I was already on high dose steroids for everything else. That wasn't systemic steroids. That wasn't doing anything, at least to the bumps. Um, and I was on all these medications. So, they, so they're like, anyway, let's just, let's, if we get your psoriatic arthritis now, maybe back under control, let's just see what happens. So they started me on Cosentix, which is a different drug class. It is not a TNF inhibitor. It's an, it's an IL-7, which is an yeah. interleukin-7. And it's a newer, I've heard you say on your show before too, they're always coming out with new drugs, which is so true. Yeah. We're always having a lot of options come out. Um, So Cosentix is a, it's not, you know, very new now, but I still think maybe now it's less than 10 years old. Um, yeah, it's like the TNF inhibitors were the first class. They of were. That's Remicade and Brel Humira. And I'm trying to, I know I've been on an IL-7. I'm trying to remember if it was 
Tamra, is it F Tamra or Arancia? I came trying to look this up as we're talking, but yeah, they're the newer, newer ones. Yeah. So it was a little newer and they were basically like, listen, don't ever take a TNF inhibitor again. It doesn't agree with you. Let's try a different class of drugs. Here's Cosentix. Give it a try. But so, like I said, the vasculitis was still very much a problem. It was it, it was still definitely needing to be controlled with prednisone and things like that. So I was on a few different medications, a few different immunosuppressive medications to be exact. And I had these, these bumps where I'm calling them bumps, but they were draining. And what they, we found out too, is a neutrophilic drainage, which is kind of like a white blood cell drainage, not really important, but the point is they opened, they would open sometimes, which is a source of infection. Right. And I was on a lot of immunosuppressants. So I got a cellulitis infection in my, my elbow and, and my left, the one on my left elbow. And I had been at work that day and my elbow was really hurting and it got worse and worse throughout the day. And I got home and I couldn't even bend it or straighten it fully, but I had long sleeves on and I, you know, I'm like, I'll just, let me just, I don't want to look at this right now. I knew it was going to be something bad and I didn't want to look at it. So I waited till I got home. And it was, it looked infected. So I went to the, my husband took me to the ER and it needed IV antibiotics. I was in the hospital for five days. The IV antibiotic, part of the reason it took so long was because the IV antibiotics gave me an acute kidney injury because they were so like intense and somebody, the lab didn't draw my trough on time. It's a whole thing, but um, oh, <laughs> just because they're so busy, I don't blame the lab um, or the phlebotomist. They're always so like, they've got a million things to do all the time. Um, so anyway, so that, and by the way, an acute kidney injury, that was also a very temporary thing. My kidneys are fine. I don't have problems with my kidneys. Um, but, um, I mean, this is a lot like one day you're working and the next mm -hmm. day you're hospitalized. Yeah. Like I had to like, I texted my manager at the time who was really, really lovely person and really wonderful to work for. I texted her and I had just been at work with her all day. And I was like, listen, I can't come in tomorrow. I'm in the hospital. I was like getting admitted. It was like the evening. She's like, what are you talking about? I just saw you like three hours ago. And I was like, I know, but like, it's, and I was, I, I was really transparent with her throughout a lot of this um, because of how she, she was really wonderful and always, you know, treated me with a lot of respect in regards to this and gave me a lot of, um, a lot of understanding, which I really appreciate. Like, I don't think everybody is lucky enough to be in a work setting where they'll yeah. afford you no, that sort not. of time off that you need or just be understanding that I, I hated to call in sick the time that I got anemic from the DAP zone I called in sick that day and I obviously called in sick when I was in the hospital um and I really hated that I hated having to do that because I just feel like my coworkers will see me as somebody who's not dependable um I'm gonna make them short staff today they're not gonna have the extra hands um it's something I really that was another that became an that was like an emotional thing for me too but it yeah. it was something that I was beating myself up about because I have to say again like my coworkers, my manager were really really wonderful to me nobody gave me like a hard time about it which I know I was really lucky for because maybe not everybody has that um yeah, and you would think it I was gonna say well in healthcare they understand but that's not true I've heard too many stories of people whose coworkers should understand who work in absolutely so that's really well and and part of this though, I think too, was because I was in the outpatient setting now. So I do have to say, I think if, if I had still been in the hospital setting, it is harder for people to under, to to have that maybe empathy sometimes in the hospital because you are so short-staffed all the time. Mm -hmm. You're overworked. You're, the physical demands are crazy. The hours are long. And it, I, and I've been on the other end of that too, where I would, I, before I was working in GI, I worked on a med surge floor. And if you came in one day and somebody had called in sick, 
it, it could be deflating. It wasn't, yeah. you weren't, yeah. I, w- I didn't have anger towards the person, but you just knew how it was going to affect your day. Right. And that's in that inpatient setting, right? So, so that's why I really just beat myself up about it. But again, this was outpatient, so the stakes are a little lower. Um, but yeah. an inconvenience to everybody, I'm sure, nonetheless. So, yeah, that's tough. But, uh, but if anybody listening works in the inpatient setting and you have to call in sick, please don't feel bad about it. Like nobody's mad no. at you personally. The conditions are just tough. Like it's just grueling conditions, and I get it. And my heart goes out to you. Um, yeah, but. Uh, yeah, so brief hospital stay, which was very much a bummer and very, yeah, that was a low point for me. I was having a lot of pain at that point. The wounds on my feet were not good. The, I, it sucked. It sucked. And then had you already gotten married at this point or no, I had just gotten married. Yeah. My husband, this was like through sickness and health, right? I had just yeah. gotten married. I think we were like, maybe we were less than a year married by the time I was in the hospital. Wow. We got married sometime in 2018 and I was in the hospital January, 2019. Oof. I say sometime in 2018. Like, I don't know. It was April of 2018. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was less than a year. Um, yeah. And actually my husband was a resident at that. He was a family, he's a family practice. So he was, um, he was in residency at the hospital that I was admitted to because that's where we live near. And it was funny, like a nurse came in to help me with something when I was in the, or not to help me, but to, you know, do whatever they had to do, give me medicine or whatever. And they saw him standing there and they recognized him as one of the residents. And I think he was working that day. So he might've been wearing scrubs and he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You're rounding. I'll, I'll come back later. And he was like, leaving. he's like, no, no, I'm not like, come on. So that, that like, that was like a whole nother, I, I felt bad for him too, because he was so busy, but that's a grueling schedule though, too, right? Like they're not home Mm -hmm. that often. Like, so you didn't, it was the worst timing too, because he was on his, so with family practice, you know, they do different rotations throughout residency that vary from inpatient to outpatient, to medicine, to OB, to peds, pediatrics, but either in the inpatient setting or the outpatient setting, or they have elective rotations, mm-hmm. maybe where they're learning about other things. He was on his medicine rotation, which is the like, ah, you're inpatient, you're doing the medical floors, the adult, it's, it's the, that's the busiest high. one. Yeah, that's the busiest yeah. one. Um, maybe they have to respond to the codes or something. It's the whole thing. So anyway, um, so that was tough. It was great. Yeah. So my husband, I have to give a lot of credit to him because this, he was going through his own stressful time with work and, you know, completing his residency training and, um, his wife's in the hospital and his wife has like wounds on her feet, which he was many a time. He was the person doing the wound care on my feet when I was just like over it and like, couldn't even deal. So, um, you know, he obviously is one of the people I couldn't have gotten through all this without. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, I, hospital say comes and goes and Cleveland is still following me. And so they invited me to a dermatology conference. They said, we want to present your case to the attendees who are other dermatology professionals. I think mostly locally in the area, um, but we host these conferences. So um, would you come? So then they can look at you in person. And I was like, wow, yes. Cause I thought, wow, what an opportunity. Like we're going to get a think tank together of these people who surely somebody will know. Um, somebody will know the answer or somebody will say, I've seen this before, whatever. And I really thought in my head, I was like, I'm going to get a sit in on this. I'm going to go to a room or a lecture hall or something. And they're going to put up a slideshow and I'm going to get to hear all of their thoughts, everything they're thinking. 
um, and I'm going to be an active participant in this. And that was not true. I got there. They put me in the appointment room that I'd always been in. And they're like, we're going to go talk about you. And then we'll come look at you. And I was like, okay. Um, wow. Which I, I do kind of understand. I mean, that is how they treat it for all of the patients with these conferences. I get it. Um, but it was, it was like, we're going to go talk about you in the other room. And then all these people are going to look at you that, you know, we just talked about you. And I was like, oh, okay. that is weird. Like I, I, I know rheumatology is really unique in, in many ways. Mm -hmm. And I've been, you know, a patient partner at the conference before, as well as speaking as an occupational therapist. And we've had patient representatives on panels and they, they're treated as like equal partners, you know, so I'm not, not to be like dermatology sucks or something, but no, just saying like, it doesn't have to be done that way. Like it could be right. done a way that felt less like you're like a zoo animal. They're just like looking at, you know, and it's funny you say that. Cause that's how I, I right afterwards, I remember the term I was saying to somebody I was talking to about it, said I felt like a circus, yeah. like, uh, not like, like a circus freak or something. I felt like the, I was the attraction at the circus or something. I don't know. I'm sorry. So it was no, it's okay because I really did like I appreciated their efforts and I appreciated them presenting me at this case. Like I was grateful for that. But if I can change anything, I wish I could have been privy to the conversations because mm -hmm. it was, of course, I was interested. I wanted to know. Um, but so anyway, I sat they oh, and she she um I was this one, she was a dermatology resident who I spoke with the most, and she couldn't say enough nice things about her. She is so nice. She was like, um, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're just going to sit here. We're going to go talk about you. We'll be back. Um, and then here, let me open this poster. And it was this like trifold poster that you use at your science fair when you're like in junior high or whatever. <laughs> right? Like I had to do that in seventh grade. Yeah. And yeah. they had every picture they had taken of me of the wounds of the skin of the vasculitis across this time period that I'd been going to them, which had been months. And I just started bawling. I lost it. I started crying. It was like the first time I had cried in front of any of these like medical professionals. Uh -huh. And I, because I just, it was like all, it felt like I just got hit in the face with it. It was like, I just got hit by like, I don't know. I just got smacked in the face with everything that had been going on. And yeah. that was like one of the first times too, where I was like, maybe I've been like ignoring the emotional aspect of this and burying my feelings a little bit because it, it, it was like, a, it erupted. It was, a, I just started crying. And I think she was a little taken aback. She was like, oh my God, I'm sorry. Like, do you want me to close it? Mm. And so that was tough. And I was like, oh. it kind of feels like to me, I'm imagining it was like that you put a frog in boiling water, it jumps right out. But if you put it in lukewarm water and you slowly turn the temperature up, it's like you would have these things that had grown over time. And you're just, you're coping with it by saying, just get through the next week, get through the next day, get through the next hour. And then when someone presents you with this poster, it's like, you're all of a sudden hit with the boiling water. You're like, oh my gosh, you know? And yeah, I always and say I like, like, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go, go on. No, you go. Tell me. No. Tell oh, me. I was just going to say that something my doctor or my therapist finally convinced me of, he's a psychiatrist. So he's a doctor and there and he does clinically like hour-long therapy sessions which I actually never knew psychiatrists could do that before I started seeing him but anyway um he says you know avoidance is 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 a great short-term strategy it's never a good long-term strategy um and so in this case you're avoiding coping with your emotions because it's just too difficult in the moment and you have to just you're in survival mode and then once it's resolving, you're giving yourself the emotion, the space to actually confront it anyway. Yeah. Well, and that's it. So in, it probably was a 
good thing that something finally forced me to confront it because mm -hmm. I was, I was kind of, it, I think, I'm glad to have heard you say that because I don't think I put a name to it. I think avoidance is what I was doing. And I was like, I, it was the first time I had a lot of like, I felt bad for myself. Like I had a lot of, I looked at all that skin and I was like, who is this happening to? This is horrible. Like I feel, it felt like it was pictures of a different person, but I simultaneously knew that it was me. So I suddenly felt so sad and like bad and like frustrated and I started crying and and she she did she closed the poster and they reopened it later um I was like I'm sorry I can't look it was too hard to look at yeah. um but it wasn't a lot of time either to kind of get myself together because like I was like let me compose myself so you know she gave me some tissues and she was really nice but she had to go present my case um so she she left and I you know got it together I had to you know roll up my sleeves and my my pants and my whatever you feel that this is where the you feel like a circus attraction or whatever comes into play because you're like here I am what do you mm -hmm. think um and it was a, it was like an hour of people cycling in and out of the room and have you tried Kenalog? have you tried Dapzone? have you tried I'm like yeah yeah I'm trying it. I tried it already thank you mm -hmm. um so and it was just a lot of wow whoa that's weird huh huh isn't that just the darndest thing and I was like isn't it though but can you help me it's like it's like you're willing to do the emotional labor of sharing your story in return for hoping to get some answers. And then when you don't get the answers, it's like that trade-off suddenly maybe it doesn't seem. Yeah. Good, so that's rough. yeah. So I think through all of that, they, they did land on like the diagnosis, but not, did not ever. And I'll get to this, I guess, but to this day have not landed on a treatment or cure maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, so they call it palisaded neutrophilic and granulomatous dermatitis pngd mm -hmm. don't ask me to say it again i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm putting i'm putting a link to yeah. it i had to look it up i had to look it up and i put yeah. a link to it in the show notes <laughs> yeah i yeah sorry that's a long one um and actually too if people read the blog post i have some hyperlinks within there as well um for anybody who's interested in any of those further readings um, but similar to that other diagnosis I had said of the erythema elevative diagnosis, it's kind of seen with people who have autoimmune problems, I think, especially with inflammatory problems, not, you know, technically harmful, obviously it's a problem that's going to open up and cause infection or wounds. Um, but, and then, then there, and then limited research on it because it's very rare, but what they've known is what I've already said, basically Dapsone, um, Kenalog injections, maybe um, uh, one of the links had maybe another medic. I don't remember what the third medication was, but I know it's one that I already had tried. They had run through it all. So this is actually a testament again to before you have the answers, sometimes it's okay to continue with the treatment. Because even going back to that dermatology nurse practitioner, I mean, what we tried was not necessarily that wasn't the wrong answer. We just didn't know what it was yet. Mm -hmm. So we had already tried a lot of stuff, and in this, in the again, the limited data, the limited research. Um, they say some people experience spontaneous resolution. And I'm like, well, that sounds great. Um, and also treating the underlying disease. So I think uh, psoriatic arthritis, drug-induced lupus, vasculitis, a lot of stuff was going on. Um, <clears throat> but we were treating all the diseases and they're still here. So basically, it was kind of like we were at an impasse, I guess. There was a point where a couple of the ones on my feet had, they were open wounds and they ended up, they did go away. Two of them went away. 
and one of them has gone away forever and the other one grew back. (laughs) Um, And so I, to this day, I still have one on my right heel, my second toe on my right foot, the outside of my left heel, my elbow and both of my knees. Those are all still here. However, they are not draining. They're not like, they're like dormant volcanoes, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. They don't open, they don't drain, they're not wounds. So I do think all that inflammation in my body was, we regained control over all of that. Um, But for whatever reason, I have not experienced the uh, spontaneous resolution or maybe the medications we tried didn't work. Maybe if I ever revisited Dapsone someday, there's a lot of, should I bother trying to pursue it still? Should I not? I don't know. I've mainly come to a place where I'm fine with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. It's a little awkward wearing shorts and sandals sometimes and your, your feet and your knees look a little strange. Um, but you come to accept that too. It's been years now, so mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, Cosentix is doing great for me. Um, yeah. I'm back to the no psoriasis, no, um, you know, not a lot, not a lot of joint flares. Um, a lot of, you know, minim- not a lot of pain all the time or anything like that. So yeah. Cosentix was the answer for me for my psoriatic arthritis for now, you know, until the, until the next, which may or may not happen. And the bumps are here. Maybe someday they won't be, but it's okay. <laughs> well, and that's, that is like the, I call it the chronic illness seesaw. Like I made this mm-hmm. visual for it a couple of years ago, but where you're like, it could be better. It could be worse. Like how much energy mentally do you spend or should you spend trying to get to the bottom of it and fix it versus how much energy should you spend adapting to it and saying, well, like the null hypothesis in science, right? Is that things won't change. <laughs> like, is mm-hmm. that your intervention won't work. So what if it does, what if they never go away? I, I'm, I'm kind of hearing between the lines is that it's, it's a tricky and I don't think anyone knows the right answer. Like at the end of the day, I have to tell myself I did the best I could with what I have. Who knows? I could Monday morning quarterback it tomorrow and say, I should have done this. I should have done that. But I can't, I'm already exhausted. I don't want to exhaust myself more by letting myself be haunted by um, the could have, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I'm just right now, as we're talking, I'm finishing up the Taylor Swift um, themed episode that's going to come out this at this point when this comes I out. I love that. Yeah. There's a song, woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, and I'm like, it's hard not to be haunted by that. And, 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 and so along that's really good. Every, all roads, I would say like all roads lead when you're dealing with chronic illness, they all kind of lead to in my, in my experience, like there's a mental, emotional, mental health aspect, right. Where you're like, you get to the, and you get to a point where you're like, how do I cope with this? And so earlier you, it sounded like, oh, I said avoidance. It, it, I mean, uh, the, the way that my therapist explained to it is like, when you sh- shove stuff down, like your emotions down, you avoid feeling them. Cause you're like, I'll deal with this emotion later. I can't handle it right now. Um, and again, it's a very, it's a functional short-term strategy that gets you through the day, but there's a saying in therapy that which we resist persists, you know, so it's, it's going to come back to you someday potentially. And so how, you know, did you, I'm always curious to hear if people went to therapy and, you know, how did you, how have you coped with the mental side? Yeah. So during all this in the thick of it, I feel like this was kind of my acute phase. I was like, make no mistake, I was anxious and I was upset and it was hard. Um, So like life was kind of 
you know, my, my regular sort of days, but it was tough. So I did start therapy. I did it while I was still living in it. Once we, we eventually moved from Indiana, but while I was in Indiana, I started therapy. It was around the time of my wedding too. I was like, I was also like a bride, like freaking out about my yeah. wedding, also having some other issues. So, um, I went to therapy. I did briefly try an anti-anxiety medication, but this was right about the same time they were just telling me I had a drug-induced lupus reaction. So psychologically, um, and in hindsight, that was not a great idea for me because I was like, okay, I'll try this medication. And it was, um, we'll talk about drug class again. It was an SSRI. And when the, when that was a primary care doctor who prescribed that to me, because I said, I'm, my anxiety is terrible, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, okay, I just thought, you know, I'm, it's incumbent upon me to let you know about the side effects. You could have something called serotonin syndrome and blah, 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 getting into, he got into all the side effects Mm -hmm. and I took that medication one day and that night I had a full blown, blown panic attack about it. And I was like, I'm having serotonin syndrome because, and I fully acknowledge it was a psychosomatic reaction. I had, I had just found out I had a very rare 0.1% drug induced lupus reaction. So I had convinced myself I'm going to have all the rare, you know, medication. And I was already taking all these prednisone and I was already Prednisone makes asking, you so anxious, by the way. Yes. Prednisone yeah. hypes you up. If, mm-hmm. And I don't know if people who haven't taken it or when you take the week long pack, it's kind of not as much, but I was on like 60 milligrams of prednisone oh, for wow. months daily. It was a I lot. I had, yeah. I had the moon face. I had, I gained some mm-hmm. weight. I was like a mess. So mm-hmm. then here I am. Oh, sure. I'll take this other medication who this doctor was just doing his job. Let me know what the side effects were. But I had just also found out about this other side effect. So I assumed I was going to, you know what I mean? You're like, my so a, for rare things is not I know. Good I was now. like, well, I yeah. guess I'm going to get this too. And so I yeah. just, I had a complete mental block to it. I couldn't take it, which is not the fault of the medication. It was my experience and what was going on with me at the time. So mm-hmm. I abandoned that and I went to therapy, which was like, it was the only thing I could do at the time because I was not, I would like, I would have been just, oh, if I had to add another medication, you know? So I that totally was that. yeah yeah it was very it was helpful for me it was the first time I ever did it it was eye-opening for me in a lot of ways because there was a lot of coping strategies I never knew you know existed and those made a lot of difference for me like um breathing techniques and the like I don't know if you've ever heard of like the four seven eight breathing if you start oh, to feel yeah. really overwhelmed that's a big one for me I love, love that, that. love it and that really helps me feel that's like, or maybe that's also a grounding technique. I'm not, so I learned some grounding techniques to like, feel where you like put, maybe touch your fingers together, feel the ground, feel your surroundings. Um, a lot of mindfulness stuff. I also have always loved doing yoga. So I was kind of, it was easy yeah. for me to sort of intertwine that with yoga, maybe try some meditation. I don't do any like formal meditation, but just, I think more mindfulness is maybe the way to describe things like that, that I've tried. And, and and before um, we talked you, you shared a few bullet points and I, I, I latched onto this phrase you wrote, which is that, um, you know, mindfulness techniques, breathing techniques, and accepting that it's okay to not have control. That was, that's one that I still work on. I have to work on that one every day because I huge one for me too. Because control Mm -hmm. is so comforting. And as yes, control is helpful if you have a controllable problem, but sometimes our problems are not controllable or not solvable. This was the perfect example of that. It was like this long lasting issue, ultimately mostly temporary, but this kind of long ongoing like issue that I, yeah, like, and as I said, these 
as every, with every bump that popped up on my skin, it was like, I had lost a little bit more control because those were like, I'm not even doing anything. I'm just sitting here and bumps are popping up on my skin. You know, like I didn't under, it was so, and I think I'm similar to you in that way that when I was in therapy, I was, I was putting a lot of the anxiety. Again, this was avoidance. I was putting a lot of the anxiety on my wedding instead of on this medical problem that was happening with me. I said, it's just the wedding. It's just the wedding. Once the wedding's over, I'll feel better. Once the wedding's done and the planning's done and all that's done, I'll feel so much better. Um, because I also saw that as that was something I could control. I had a date for my wedding. It was going to come, it was going to go and it would be fine. So I was like, everything's going to be fine after the wedding. Mm -hmm. So I kept putting all of that on. It's just the wedding. Mm -hmm. And my therapist was like, I think you have, yeah, issues with control. She was like, you have to be okay with not being in control because that's life, (laughs) you know? Oh my gosh. So it's, I mean, that's such a beautiful thing that it's liberating. Yeah, yeah. That the therapist, well, that the therapist felt comfortable bringing that up because I feel like it is really hard to tell a control freak <laughs> that they need to not be in control because it's like the first response is like my first response to my therapist. I have had two therapists. One's female, she's a psychologist, and the other one's male, he's a psychiatrist. And um, she was, you know, the first one that introduced me to this concept. I'm like, but what if I'm really good at being in control? And <laughs> God, like I just try really hard. And the problem, the thing is people who are high achieving people who, you know, they often things like anxiety and the desire for control, you can channel them in a functional way or you can channel them in a non-functional way. It's not to say that you should never be in control in your life, but we have, but it's liberating to accept the situations where you're not in control if you have chronic illness, particularly. So my kudos to you for being open to that, because that took me multiple times of multiple therapists till I actually was willing to let go of control. And I kind of, I mean, I will say like, again, credit to my husband, he was like very encouraging of therapy. And especially because he like, the SSRI was just not going to happen for me. I think that's it. That's the right answer for a lot of people. And it maybe could have been the right answer for me if the stress in my life was not caused by a different medication, maybe. It just, oh, I was I, so averse yeah. to it. I couldn't, so it was like, there was, you got to do something. And it was like, yeah. I guess I got to do therapy. And um, they can go just like with, you know, natural methods and medications for rheumatoid arthritis. You know, you can do like, I take a small dose of an SSRI for as maintenance for my anxiety and like panic attacks. And I do the therapy, the work in therapy too. And it just, the anxiety meds for me help take the edge off, but I just want to normalize. I had the hardest time getting my body adjusted to them as well. And I think if I hadn't been, I had been on anxiety meds a long time ago and then I stopped them and then I started them again. And I remembered that the first time they also were hard to get on. So I had to push through that initial like week or so of feeling worse before it gets better. It was like, I had that comfort of knowing that that had happened before, but I almost, I almost the first two nights after the second night, I, I, I had to be like, I am going, I am out of my mind. Like this is, not yeah, it makes okay. you feel like jittery kind of, yeah, first, yeah. I think, right. So, and like know, you said, yeah, no, yeah, I agree with you. No, no, no. And sorry. I'm, I'm like, I want to make sure to, I'm like, wait a minute. I need to stop talking about my story, but, um, but no, I, I'm, thank you for sharing about going to therapy and, and, and what helped you. And, um, I also wanted to give you a chance to share. We're not going to be able to do all the rapid fire questions, which is totally fine. Cause they're not actually rapid fire. They're like long questions, but what, but the one, um, I wanted to ask is what, 
are some of your best words of wisdom or things you'd want to say to somebody who might be newly diagnosed either with psoriatic arthritis or with pallid neutrophilic granulomatitis? <laughs> I can't say it. Yeah, I can't say it half the time either. Um, I can't see what I said this. I remember. Oh yeah. Um, Jurassic yeah, Park. Movie. Yes, yeah. yes. Thank you. I love movies. That's like something you would know about me almost off the bat. So um, I like derive some of my wisdom from movies and quotes that stick out to me or morals or lessons. And Jurassic Park, I have to clarify, 1993, the original movie, not like the Jurassic World, oh, the first, the first yes. Jurassic Park. Um, and that was, a, it's a book I love too, but you know, the book is by Michael Crichton, but the, the movie's great. And I was first exposed to the movie. There's a scene in the movie where the guy who was creating Jurassic Park, the, the dinosaurs are out, bad things are happening. Everything's already, chaos has already ensued. And he's saying to Laura Dern's character named Ellie in the movie, he's like, we, if I do this and if I do this, I can still get it back under control. We can still, like people have died in the movie at this point. And he's like, I can still, we can still open. It'll be fine. And she like has to kind of have like a, like a big come to Jesus moment with him. And she said, you never had control. That's the illusion. Mm -hmm. And for somebody like me, and like you've described as well, that was also like, Oh, you have to accept sometimes, like you said, not in all aspects of life. Of course, there are aspects of life that you have control over certain things, but as, with chronic illness and, and, you know, anything there's, there's the dinosaur or something in your life that you can't control a dinosaur. You think you can train it or get it to stay behind an electric fence or whatever. I got news for you. Like vasculitis ain't it? Like, I don't know. So so when, so you said for in the realm of newly diagnosed, you're going to feel like, what did I do? Like, what did I do that this happened to me? And what could I have done? And what if this, and what if that, and you don't have control of the fact that that happened to you and you didn't do anything wrong. Like all you can do now is choose how to react to it. And I'm not saying it's always going to be like, I was over here having panic attacks myself. You're not always going to have like the perfect day, but you just have to move forward, which brings me to the other quote I mentioned in my response to you, which was from a, just totally 180 on the movies. Now Frozen 2, the cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's that. like a, yeah, there's a point in that movie where Anna is like, she's, she's at her lowest point and she could just, she could choose to despair. She could choose to give up and despair and, and just lay down and, and say, I've lost, you know, but that's the point in the movie where she sings this song. And it's, I think the title of the song is this too, but the chorus is just do the next right thing. And that resonated with me too, because it's when I'm at my worst, when I'm feeling very overwhelmed. And when you're trying to process something like a new diagnosis, I would understand if you feel overwhelmed, because sometimes it involves well, we're going to have to refer you to another doctor. You're going to have to make all these other appointments. You're going to have to start these new medications. You're going to have to maybe make some lifestyle like changes or modifications. And so what I would say to those people is just do the next right thing, meaning pick a task, pick a task, do one thing today. So I used to be the kind of person too, when I was younger, I'd have a to-do list with like 20 things on it for the day. And then somebody, I don't remember where I read this or who told me this, but don't ever have more than three things on your daily to-do list. Cause you're kind of, you don't know what's going to happen. This relates back to control too. Mm -hmm. You don't know how your day is going to go. Just do the next right thing and just pick one task. 
And I think little by little by little, it'll start coming together and you're going to be okay. That's such particularly good advice advice for newly diagnosed because I think a lot of people are like, well, how am I going to do this? And what am I going to do? And what about my career? And what about my family? What about having a kid? You know, and you're like, well, you know, one thing at a time, you have to give yourself that time and space and that patience. Um, last question. Um, this is a big one, but I, you, I know you wrote some notes out before, which are really great. What does it mean to you to live a good life and thrive with chronic illness slash psoriatic arthritis? Okay. I have to refer back. Um, I think that I, yeah. So I, I'm a big proponent of yoga. I do love yoga and something, even if you don't want to, or if you don't practice yoga, there are still lessons to be learned from it. And one of it is to honor your body. That's the thing that I hear a lot in yoga. And it's just acknowledging how amazing your body is. I'm so grateful for my body. My body has challenges, but I'm so grateful for the things it can do. It's It, it will never cease to amaze me. And with that, in the, the theme of honoring your body, though, also don't push yourself past your limits. Like we have to, um, like, I think I was experiencing this sometimes in pushing, trying to push through working in the hospital when I couldn't, like when I was in so much pain or when I was working that day. And then after work, I went to the hospital, like maybe I should have stopped a little sooner and said, Hey, my elbow hurts. Like, it's okay to acknowledge limitations, but also like just celebrate and be grateful for all the wonderful things you can do. Um, and, and also I try to focus sometimes too on the people around me. And I think life is about relationships and connecting with people and, and acts of service and serving other people. That's when I'm like the most joyful and happy. So it's kind of a mixture of that. It's like honoring your body and you do have to take, it's the oxygen mask thing on the plane. You have to put on your own mask before you can help anybody else. But also I really, I really believe that life is about your relationships with other people and connecting with people and helping people. And that is where so much joy can be derived from. I found that in having a child and getting married and my friends and my work and patients I've met. So that's, life is crazy, but it's great also. I love it. No, I really, I'm a very extroverted, like relationship oriented person. So I really resonated with, with that as well. Um, that definitely gives me energy and gives, gives my life meaning as well. So I think that that's really beautiful. Um, and where can people find you online if they'd like to connect further? Yeah. So I don't have like a huge online presence, but I've just forayed into sort of blog writing. I'm on Medium, which I know you said you'll link. So that's where you'll find me there. And then I'm on Twitter, where it's just where I would post things that I would write to. Um, and I believe my Twitter handle is at RosemaryMSN because it's it's mostly directed at my like my healthcare interests and such. So that's about little yeah. shout out to my nursing. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. I mean, again, I you mentioned that it, it's or you didn't, even if you didn't mention that it, it's it can be hard to tell your story. I mean, I know that this isn't the same as feeling like a circus animal because we're taught you're you're able you have the microphone you're able to talk about it, but it's still, um, I'm often surprised. I tell my story so often, it still sometimes can hit you and uh, emotionally when you tell it again. And so I appreciate you taking the time to share um, such a challenging journey, but ultimately one that, you know, you've, you're using your platforms now to educate others. And that's a really beautiful thing. So thank you. 
Yeah, well, thank you. And I want to, I mean, it took me years to sit down and write it down and writing it out did feel like I got it out. It was hugely cathartic. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's, I really, really appreciate And I really appreciate everything you do. So thank you for your work and your platform. And like, I mean, I just like you and I, again, are similar in connections in life. And I just think it's beautiful the way that you can connect with people. So thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really glad that, you know, just for people listening, like she contacted me out of the blue on, on Instagram. So you never, you know, you want to share your story. I do now have a like application form that I send people sometimes if I don't already know them. Um, in your case, I, you sent me your blog post and I read that. I'm like, oh my gosh, she'd be perfect. But it's a, it's an application form because, um, Unfortunately, I do get people who want to share their story and it turns out that they're just trying to sell like a supplement or something, which I don't promote any supplements. Um, it's just way outside of my scope and frankly, my interest area. So, you know, I, I want to, I need to vet people who come on the podcast, but, um, it's a Google doc. And if you, you can email me at info at my I'll send you the little Google doc. If you want to share your story, you can apply to this rigorous application, which is me reading what you said. But anyway, thank you again, Rosemary. I hope, I know people are going to have lots of um, positive feedback on this episode. So um, we will connect further later and I hope you have a good time with your little baby and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.